breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode this week of Reform This. This is the place where we bridge the huge divide between the theocratic world of political Islam and the West's world of freedom, liberty, universal declaration of human rights. There are no bridges possible, but if we reform, if we counter the ideas that radicalize, the ideas that create theocracy, and at this point, most of normative Islam, the leaders follow the theocratic interpretations of the primary schools of thought of Sharia. This is where you can come to, where you're not going to hear the apologetics, where you're not going to hear the denials, but you're going to hear how we can every day on the issues of the front burner of American politics, global foreign policy, we can address the things that give you some hope, that give you some sense of this is what we need to treat and this is how we get to where, to where, to where we need to go for a more peaceful world and defeat our our real real enemies. This week is this week is no different. We got a lot to talk about with the finally the killing of Baghdadi, the evolution of the Turkish Syria crisis continues even though supposedly a ceasefire is happening. And so much more, so much more to talk about. I can't help but start with, I thought, the greatest tweet of the week. What's the greatest tweet of the week? It was a subtweet by Enes Kanter, the Turkish basketball player for the Boston Celtics. And he retweets Donald J. Trump, President Trump, who said, ISIS has a new leader, and we know exactly who he is, exclamation point. Now, President Trump didn't say who he is. He did say that we not only killed Baghdadi, but a couple of days later said we now killed his successor. Ennis then subtweets that and says, with a finger pointing to R.T. Erdogan, Recep Erdogan is the new head of ISIS. Perfect, perfect. Really makes a point, doesn't it, that if you look at who you can credit for coddling, creating an atmosphere that protected the radicalization of the revolution, that protected the ideology of Salafi jihadism of the Turks, the Islamist element of the AKP, if you will, which is the political party, the Muslim Brotherhood of Turkey, that Erdogan leads in a cultish fashion. There's no doubt that he is the presumptive leader of ISIS. Now, I get it. That's an exaggeration. He claims to be anti-ISIS. But the bottom line is, is their policies did nothing more, did nothing more than foment, than spread the ideas that were the substrate, the bottom line of the ISIS ideology. So that's the tweet of the day. Thank you, President Trump, and thank you, Ennis Cantor. And unfortunately, didn't get as much attention as it should have, but I thought message received. Message received. And then, you know, we had the ceasefire this week, and supposedly nothing's happening. Where's the world 
where's the world in paying attention to the fact that Kurds are still being bombed, they're still being pushed out beyond the 30-kilometer perimeter that supposedly is the only area that the Turks said they were going to control. And we still see further acts of violence and war against the Kurdish community. And why isn't anyone bringing any attention to that? It's unclear to me. It doesn't make any sense. And then Mr. Bashar, genocidal Assad, does a little interview with a couple of his sycophantic state media guys, a guy and gal in his presidential palace, palace of hell, and he posts this just yesterday or a couple days ago and said that basically he wants to thank the United States president for the people of Syria for killing Baghdadi and thank them for his role in the alleged <laughs> liquidation process of Sheikh Baghdadi. He said that in a special dialogue for his channel, al Suriya of Syria. And he even made it a point to say that we had nothing to do with filtering and finding and communicating with the Americans and that they did this on their own. So imagine the prideful BS coming out of this genocidal guy who supposedly is all about fighting a war against ISIS and the head of ISIS dies and he wants to make sure to his Iranian handlers, the Iranian Shia Caliphate desirees, that he had nothing to do with the American operation on his soil. So that should tell you, that should tell you about the mindset. I hope the response, I wish President Trump had trolled him on Twitter. God, that would have been great. His response should have been, well, you POS, I'm not going to, you know what that stands for. He was in your country and you found a way to slaughter 600,000 souls and displace 10 million and your lousy, militant thugs of a military couldn't find a way to kill the most wanted terrorists on the planet, but we came into your country 7,000 miles away with a few special forces and found a way to do it. And by the way, we did it with the help of folks you're letting be slaughtered now, which are the Kurds. Turns out that the information received was through an undercover operative that had been right up close to the household of Baghdadi and actually got his underwear DNA analyzed and they knew it was him skid marks and all <laughs> yeah that's I'm, I'm laughing but that that's the, the actual story ladies and gentlemen that Baghdadi's underwear was obtained location was obtained by Kurdish military and actually as much as the timing seems cause and effect the connection appears to be that this was an operation three to four months in the making. A number of stories came out detailing the biography, the history of Baghdadi, 
And it turns out this operation was, he's being monitored closely to make sure there was the right time and place. Now, they probably wanted to take him alive, which is what they were waiting for. And then the removal of our troops quickly and hastily caused a, a wave of operations that then there was significant concern that in his hidden area in Idlib, an area that the world, especially Turkey, knew was controlled and teamed with Islamists and various factions of Al-Qaeda types. And by the way, was basically supposedly under the monitoring of Turkey because Assad didn't have, those are one of the areas that were more rebel-controlled than Syrian military-controlled. But no, he didn't have the capacity to, to know where Baghdadi was. But a Kurdish patriot, a Kurdish brave soldier, was able to get close to him, report, and continue to maintain the veracity of his location. And then once anarchy ensued with the Turks coming in over the border and a whole area of destabilization, apparently the American plans had to be moved up and they went in to get him so that they wouldn't lose him. And thankfully, Baghdadi's gone. So I wish that was one of the comments in response to Assad's absurd media item. But bottom line is, is Baghdadi's dead. What does that mean? What does it mean for ISIS? There's no doubt that like any organization, you cut the head off pun intended, ladies and gentlemen, you behead ISIS as an organization, it's going to function much less. But it's a hydra. It's a hydra. And within a few days, actually four days after his death, AP reports that Amak, the ISIS media arm, had released a, a an announcement of who the new head of ISIS would be. And this was the second one because they didn't admit that the first one actually was then killed by the American Soldiers. And what does it mean? For ISIS, I think it does not. First, let's give credit where credit's due. Our troops not only nailed him, but sent a message, and I think President Trump's response, and you know, I have to tell you, first of all, it is embarrassing to compare. Do yourself a favor, if you have any time, compare the media from May 2011, May 2nd, when Osama bin Laden was killed, compare the media's response, mainstream, so-called mainstream, traditional legacy media, compare the media's response to bin Laden's death and how they responded to Obama's leadership and his his prowess when in fact he was sitting in Washington and obvious for any commander-in-chief. But yet, credits due where credits due. Whatever happened, he was leading the ship, called the shots, and we got him in Pakistan without notifying Pakistan. And a number of things led to his Bin Laden's demise. And I wrote a piece for the Dallas Morning News at the time talking about the fact that while Bin Laden's gone, while while Bin Laden's gone, the ideology of Salafi jihadism has not changed and will continue to grow and is fasting is growing faster than it than it ever has. And sure enough, a year later, ISIS started. 
ISIS had never been heard of. Sure enough, two years later, Jabhat al-Nusra, other Al-Qaeda-type fashions, grow in Syria. Sure enough, Al-Qaeda in the Arab Peninsula continues to grow. Bin Laden's legacy continues. Baghdadi's gone now. What does that mean for the legacy of Salafi jihadism? It's a, it's a body blow for ISIS, obviously. Their founder, their lead, or as the Washington Post called him, the austere scholar. The austere scholar Baghdadi is gone. What's great about that? You know, a lot of... It went viral right after the, that post was made. Within hours of his death, they, the, the next morning on Monday this week, they called him an austere scholar. So, so many appropriately were laughing and saying, austere That's what you call the most vicious militant terrorist, uh, genocidal terrorist of our time is an austere scholar? But I have to tell you, folks, for someone who's sick and tired of seeing the Muslim Brotherhood types writing op-eds and guiding the agenda of the Washington Post, so offended by any hint that Islam, Islamic theocracy has anything to do with ISIS or any of the militants, never admitting, never in care to admitting that ISIS is downstream from political Islam, from theocratic Islam, from Sharia states. It actually was very gratifying to see them when they didn't check themselves. They called the head of ISIS an austere scholar, an austere Islamic scholar. Forget how horrifically nauseating the word austere is for a guy like that. But to call him an Islamic scholar, I think, proves that we're not, when they're not pushing a PR game to deceive the West about the reforms that need to happen, ISIS is just the most militant, unvarnished version of the Islamic Republic of Iran, the Saudi Wahhabi Republic, the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, the Turkish Islamic Republic. All of these Islamic republics are Sharia states with various forms of torture, suppression of free speech misogyny, racism, elements of theocratic, oppressive Islam that needs deep reform for us Muslims that love freedom and liberty and love secular democracy. And there's nothing that proved it more than the Washington Post's (laughs) absurd title, which missed their Islamist editors and also missed the truth editors that they seem to be want of lately. The ideology right now is going to be growing faster than it ever has. Cliff May wrote about it this week in the Washington Times in which he basically talks about the Battle of Baghdadi may have won, may have been won by the U.S., but the war continues. The Hydra will continue to regenerate. The Islamic Salafi jihadist byproducts will continue to regenerate because we have no... We have no strategy. We have no offense. You can't win a war in which you're only playing defense against byproducts that come to attack you. These byproducts are going to continue to attack us through refugee immigration into Europe. They're going to continue to attack us through, again, most of the refugees are not anti-Western. They're pro-Western. But many of them, some say 20 plus percent had sympathies for ISIS, are going to be anti-Western. They're going to form gangs and then be radicalized by a Islamist media from Al Jazeera on. And the likes 
of Islamist organizations in the West that tell them they are victims, that the West is the root cause. And by the way, by the way, how did CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations, how did they respond to Baghdadi's death? You look on CARE National's home Twitter page. Crickets. You look on their home page. Crickets. You start to look at their chapter leaders' Twitter pages. For the most part, crickets. Hussam Elush then said that while it's a good thing that he's been defeated, America needs to take, and he had a long Facebook post about America needing to take a good long look at what caused the creation of Baghdadi and that that creation ultimately is due to American policies in Iraq that radicalized, radicalized them. Seriously? It shows you that the, the lens through which these, these godforsaken immigrants and son of immigrants, like my own family, my family taught me and instilled in me a love for America that I would die for this country, which is why I served in the U.S. Navy. These folks, even when we have a, a, a special force operation that ends up defeating our greatest enemy against America that's been responsible for the death of so many. The operation that killed Baghdadi was called the Kyla Miller operation because... The Kayla Miller operation, because she was from Arizona doing peace ops with the Peace Corps, a a charity, and ultimately was captured and slaughtered by ISIS. But no, the Arizona care leaders retweet the, the, the thread of an imam's son here, one of the main mosques in Tempe, Arizona. Imam Shukairat's son. Shukairat is his last name. Starts tweet, tweets about the fact that, yes, he's happy that uh, Baghdadi was killed and ultimately defeated, but it should now bring time for looking at the causes of the creation of Baghdadi, which is American policy and the way Americans treated Iraqis and others. That's straight out of Al Jazeera. That's Muslim Brotherhood pablum. That's anti-American. It shows you that whether it's the L.A. chapter director, whether it's the Arizona chapter of care, whether it's the national chapter, their answer is either silence or to blame America first. This is how anti-American is the way they look at everything. And then, remember, they're the same group. Hussein Malouch is the same one that compared ISIS to Israeli defense forces. So moral militaries like the American military and the Israeli military are compared to the most vicious, animalistic militants and soldiers that have come out of the Middle East or out of the planet in the last century. ISIS. And then you wonder how our troops, how our Muslim community is getting radicalized. It's getting radicalized because these guys, when supposedly leading Muslim representation in America, can't get themselves 
to just be patriotic and thank God that the biggest stain on the Muslim community was wiped off by patriots who, who risked their lives, by Kurdish undercover agents that provided the information, by persistent power behind the scenes by Americans, despite some policy errors and policy problems that led to it, despite all these things, at least when Baghdadi was declared officially dead, we should have been celebrating and waving the flag with no ifs, ands, or buts. But that's what Americans do. Islamists have a different barometer. They use every opportunity to teach Americans a lesson, and that's what the Council on American-Islamic Relations did. But the, the, the lesson about the death of Baghdadi, as I was saying, should tell you that it's not about who's running it. These are Islamists and they're scholars who understand the schools of thought of Sharia that kill the apostates, that suppress free speech, that call blasphemy anything that disagrees with their governments, that, that says that their interpretation of the of Quran is not only the only one, but it's the Constitution that reject secular states as being their enemy, that ultimately think that women are should be enslaved, that we're com- com- committing war crimes against Yazidis, against Kurds and other minorities. This is going to continue. Do you think Baghdadi created this ideology? It's Salafi jihadism, it's Wahhabism. It is the Islamism and the Muslim Brotherhood. And the two are synergistic. The politics of the Muslim Brotherhood from Egypt to Hamas to the factions in Syria and Saudi Arabia and elsewhere to the ideology of the jihadists is all pretty much the same, which is they live to fly the black flag, the flag of Islam and their Islamic state so that they can dominate they see it as a triumphalism that they will triumph against all and that the more they win the more it proves that their ideas are legitimate and this is why we as muslims need to celebrate their defeat to prove that they're not only that they've lost but their ideas are not legitimate through victory and this is why i think islamists You know, Muslims in America need to start to talk about tough love against the enemies of our freedom and our liberty, which is, let's defeat them. Because when they get defeated, just like the Japanese and the Germans, their surrender will be the death of their ideology and thus the victory of freedom and liberty. And I think the defeat of ISIS is the first step, but we need to see the defeat of the Brotherhood, the defeat of Erdogan's Brotherhood, the defeat of Wahhabism, all these ideas need to be defeated. Now, how do you do that? One is the continued whack-a-mole program, the cutting the heads of the hydra as it comes up. The other is an offense. Start to deploy offensive ideas of equality, of egalitarianism, of the equality of men and women against misogyny, of, of the end of slavery, of the belief that every individual, atheist, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Sunni, Shia, anti-Islamist has equal rights to debate against the tribal authorities, begin to have critical thinking, critical analysis. We're seeing some of it on Middle Eastern media, but not enough. And this week we're starting to see more 
We've seen demonstrations of the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, in Lebanon and in Baghdad, in Iraq. And what did you know these demonstrations are not anything looked upon well by Islamists because Erdogan's not talking about it from the Sunni side? And Khamenei is talking about it. And what did he say? The Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei said, America, the West are behind the riots, not the demonstrations, the riots in Iraq and Lebanon as they start to turn more violent. He said that to his military lined up like a bunch of thugs in Tehran. Because they see that the demonstrations in Baghdad this week as they grow are a rejection of Iranian colonization of Iraq. They're a rejection of the corruption of the radical Shia supremacism of their Sharia state that they brought from Iran into Iraq and into Lebanon as Hezbollah has been controlling Lebanon and the same demonstrations are happening. And we're seeing, if you watch them, and the coverage, I don't understand why the coverage has been so poor. It's amazing to me. What is the I don't understand. They cover the Khashoggi. I understand, but I'm just going to lay it out there for you. The Khashoggi assassination was covered wall to wall for weeks where every American started to know exactly what the Saudis did in Istanbul, and they were clearly evil in what they did. But cover the rest of it. What's happening in Lebanon and Baghdad? Demonstrations cover it. These are about millions, not one guy. This is a transformation that's happening. Again, they didn't cover the demonstrations in Sudan months ago. Or Algeria months before that. Because those demonstrations do not fit the narrative. Remember, the Obama administration was knee-deep. Butts and elbows, as they say. There's another term for it, but I won't say it on my podcast. Knee-deep. With the Iranian regime. Everything at the altar of that nuclear deal. Everything. So the narrative that Iran is not as bad as we think is something that the traditional legacy media is stuck in. So they're not going to show. I've seen CNN cover demonstrations in Tehran that might as well have been the coverage of press TV, Iranian state TV. They will not cover it. And I don't know what the editorial line is that nobody will cross at CNN or MSNBC, but come on. The bias pro-Iran is absurd. Is it Treaty Parsi and this new fake Quincy Institute? Quincy Institute, that's a funded, bizarre new venture between the Soros and Cook, one of the Cook brothers. And I say bizarre because what are they doing working together? And I get it, they might both be isolationists, but... Do they really think it's pro-American to help theocratic Iran that, 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 that screams death to Israel, death to America, and is just militant, misogynistic, medieval tyrants? It doesn't make any sense. But 
This is why I don't understand the demonstrations are not being covered, and yet they do cover things when it serves their political endpoint. And that's the problem. That's the pathology, ladies and gentlemen, is that everything through legacy media and sometimes the other media is done through a lens of partisanship. How does it serve to attack President Trump? How does it serve to attack the Republicans or Republicans, how does it serve to attack the Democrats? And we will use that bludgeon over and over and over. Forget the reporting of reality of what's happening across the world for the people of their country, for the truth. No, if it doesn't serve to demean and decrease President Trump, again, I mentioned this before, I didn't finish the thought. Compare the coverage of President Obama's leadership and President Trump. President Trump's leadership that brought an end to Baghdadi should have been covered the same way if you're a patriotic American as Obama was covered. And many of us went out of our way to give Obama credit for doing things in a way that could have been done different, where he may have, tr- where he may have trumped, <laughs> he may have overruled the Pentagon and said, no, let's tell the Pakistanis, and then it would have failed. He may have overruled other things, but he didn't. So yes, I, I, I did not at all have any respect for his approach to Islamist regimes, Islamist ideology, the Brotherhood in Egypt, Iran, etc. But when Midlan was dead, he deserves some credit, as does President Trump with Baghdadi. But the media ridiculed him. The media has uh, somehow tried to say that his version that Baghdadi went whimpering and screaming was not true, on and on. Just absurdly, and frankly, it's embarrassing. Last, I want to leave you with a discussion. Remember we talked about this scholar out of Zaytuna Institute, an institute in uh, the area of Berkeley, who has on its board Hatem Bazian, the head of the BDS anti-Israel movement, the uh, movement that really wants to see the destruction, the economic destruction and the end of the viability of the Jewish state of Israel. Also has on its board Zaid Shacker. I'm not on its board in its leadership. Zaid Shacker, who is the right hand for Hamza Yusuf. And Zaid, uh, you may have seen 13, 14 years ago, I went to toe-to-toe with him uh, nationally in a series I wrote for the Washington Times about the threat of Islamism. And I responded to his coverage, his glowing coverage by the New York Times in which he ended and had parts of his interview that talked about wanting to make America into an Islamic state, and somehow that was a a wonderful thing. And I said, it sounds like an Islamist, an Islamist supremacist. And now you have Hamza Yusuf, thought somehow in some bizarre, weird filter to be a conservative, and he was selected by Secretary Pompeo to sit on this new commission this new commission of unalienable rights. And I'd be curious what they felt were his conservative bona fides. And, you know, I was criticized because I criticized Hamza Yusuf that, you know, oh, he's a conservative because of his pro-life position or his anti-gay position. And I'm like, I didn't know those were litmus tests. But the bottom line is his position about Islamic State ideology. He may not be an Islamist. He may have taken on the Brotherhood at some times when it's convenient for him. 
but he has a difference for authority. He told the Syrian rebellion that they were a waste of time and that really good Muslims just respond respectfully to authority and they shouldn't be fighting against, and he didn't use the word genocidal, but they shouldn't be fighting against genocidal types like Assad. He used terms like the Sultan and other references to the Islamic leader. So he's just a hodgepodge of what I would call neo-Islamist or neo-Salafi, sort of more modern interpretations of some of these Islamist ideas. He, he claims he reports himself as a Sufi, but he's sort of a hodgepodge of a lot of that stuff. But bottom line is, is he just did an hour-and-a-half discussion with Salam Mariyadi, Kumar al-Huda, and another um, scholar that I don't know. And he made some statements that I think should be looked at. Secretary Pompeo, if you're listening, he said, the Trump administration has a wretched history with our community. And this is where he's taken incoming from Muslims in the audience about why he's participating in the Trump administration and that he should have rejected the the appointment or, or somehow he's working with the enemy. But he said... He will be a countervalence on the commission, a countervalence. That he, when he's present, the conversation changes. So he is trying to clean up or change the wretched record of the Trump administration. He said serving on this commission could be a huge mistake. And then he goes on to quote Imam Shafi, who he quotes frequently. And Shafi, I'll remind you, is the school of thought, one of the four main Sunni school of thoughts, and has the book Reliance of the Traveler that summarizes a lot of these Sharia laws that they believe, and in their summary calls for, among other things, rules like punishments against blasphemers, death of apostates, on and on, and other Hadood penalties. Now, Yusuf's response would be that he doesn't ascribe to all of the laws in Shafi book, but he never qualifies that. I would never report and quote Imam Shafi in a public proceeding. It'd be like quoting Assad or quoting uh, other folks that have a checkered history of ideologies that are militant or abhorrent. They may say some things like Assad says he's anti-ISIS and wants to end terrorism. That doesn't make it somebody make him somebody I'd quote. And then he says his own Sheikh bin Bayat, Imam bin Bayat, told me it was mandatory, it was fard, as they say in Arabic, mandatory religious requirement that he serve in the Trump administration so that he can have an impact for good. So I mention these things because so many of the moderates that are, are called moderates when they're talking to their own communities, their own choir, if you will, will say things very differently than they do. And he actually said in his quotes in this proceeding at this session in Berkeley, he said, oh, the, the religious Muslim will not say things publicly, but they'll say it behind the scenes to effect change quietly behind the scenes to effect change quietly. 
Yusuf noted that the mere presence will shift the conversation. Away from what, by by the way? He then says, the prophet said, whoever wants to give sincere advice to political authority, let him not do it openly. Not openly? Because they want to effect change? Or is it because they're dissimulating where they'll say something's behind the scenes and then openly reject that they said it and pretend they did not? So you wonder why historically peace talks have been impossible with groups like the Muslim Brotherhood or Hamas or otherwise because they say one thing to one group and say another to another. And then you wonder why my my positions are often rejected by our community because I say and believe and do the same things at home, at the dinner table, in our mosques that I do nationally on television and at my podcasts. And isn't that the sign of a religious individual? somebody with moral backbone and integrity, is that you say the same thing regardless of the environment, that you don't pander? That's a political term. You don't do taqiyya, which is the Islamist dissimulation. So these things are important. Hopefully, some administration at some point will begin to learn that we need moral leaders who don't dissimulate, who don't pander, who believe in principles, led primarily, not by, a, not by a few wedge issues, but by core beliefs in the U.S. constitutional system, our Bill of Rights, and conservative independent values of freedom and liberty. As always, it's been great to be with you again this week. Thank you for listening and tuning in. Share this with your friends. Follow me on uh, Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R. Also on Twitter at Reform This Radio. We'll see you again next week. God bless. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.